Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. We won't um, take too long at the start because this is a this was a real treat of an episode. Truly, um, this was an interview with royalty. Yeah, yeah, and I think I I think I said that. Either I said I think I said it when we interviewed mm-hmm. when we started mm-hmm. the interview. Um, I played, you know, basic red box D and D as a kid a couple times, and I in effect ultimately read the material as lit. I poured over that material until it just fell apart. Yeah. The second book I got um, was um, the second edition Star Wars role playing game. Yes. I never played it because mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone to play with. Mm-hmm. So I read through that material mm-hmm. over and over and over. And I, and I had notes in the book. I wish I knew my, it's probably still at my, my grandparents' house, which is now my mother's house. It's probably still in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were able to make contact with Bill Smith and he agreed to join us for an episode um, oh, I think the only person that was probably the, I was excited, but you were more so. I, I thought Brad, you know, I thought this was going to be a real long shot. I, I, I thought, I thought there's no way he's going to say yes. There's no, I mean, but we have to ask, um, we have to ask, like I said, this is, this is RPG royalty i mean i i still think this is one of the best games one of the best mechanics out there yeah i and and so we'll 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 keep this brief um you know you'll hear um bill's bio shortly we're going to have all the notes any of you who have played role-playing games who know uh d6 systems are going to know who bill is um, he'll even, he tells, he even says he's active out on Reddit. Yep. You'll, you'll see him pop up in, in D six discussions and all that. And it truly was it. Jason and I were even talking about it tonight, a couple days after the interview, what a true pleasure it was to have him join oh. us and be so giving of his time yep. and info. Um, can't, can't thank you enough, Bill, for it. No, and, thank you so much. Yeah, and we want and and definitely we only scratch the surface. We got to have you on because there's so much. Yeah, we want to bring you back. I mean, the stories you shared so willingly with us for the interview, and then after we called it an interview, uh, the time you spent uh, with me sharing more stories. Yeah. Um, it just just absolutely amazing. You know, I'll just add, we have spent the past month, the past four episodes on Star Trek. And it's pretty obvious that um, Star Trek, certainly for me, he, was really impactful as a kid, still as, as, as an adult. And now we're on to like our other favorite, favorite world, which is Star Wars. And so impactful it's been. And, you know, Bradwell, and everyone knows this who's listened to us since the beginning. Um, but as you were playing with the, actually, that's not true. You were playing with D&D long before I got into Star Wars. But when our good friend Scott introduced me to role-playing games, yeah, it was through Bill Smith's second edition, beautiful second edition of star wars the role-playing game and like i had no idea uh, that the second edition was only a year maybe too old that was it when it came out um and i didn't know anything else role-playing wise until seven years ago so for i mean for my life since early adolescence mid mid adolescence Bill's Star Wars game was role playing to me. You remember how reluctant, almost reticent I was initially to branch out because, well, I don't want to do those other things. Role playing is Star Wars, is it not? Well, <clears throat> now I know it's broader 
but it's um it's incredible and, and as you'll hear everybody um bill had his his fingers his imprimatur on so much uh he literally sat at the table of history around mm-hmm. star wars right this is this is and he just scratched the surface with us uh this was the time in the late 80s to early 90s when as he'll say star wars had kind of ceased to be a thing because after return of the jedi there there really wasn't much and then uh then you know west end games uh you know was allowed with some convincing to mine the star wars archives at lucasfilm and and then you'll probably many of our listeners know that when when lucasfilm started getting back into the game toward the prequels they came to west end and asked to use some of their stuff i mean think about that so the not only just what bill experienced and the access he had to to be privy to all of these wonderful things but then then in a very real way some of his writing and and some of his creativity manifest still today yeah. in star wars canon um you know this is the editor and 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 one of the writers not merely air quotes of the second edition source book but of the Star Wars Game Master Handbook, which which we'll talk about, and which I really do think remains the single best, most fun GM guide out there. It just reminds me as we go to it that it would be cool to, and I, Scott, I suspect you're going to listen to this episode. So, um, and if you don't, then we're going to, yeah, we've gonna, been thinking of you, Scott, the entire way. Oh, yeah. This one. Yeah. And and it just it just reminds me how I never got to play a full uh, adventure with Scott, you GMing the West ND6 system. And I know you still have done it and still do it. So um, wink, know, wink, as, nudge, nudge. Yeah. As you listen, um, I got to draft you back into doing this and it would that would be an interesting way for us to do some gaming again um you know, as Brad, time permits for us after talking with bill i have wanted to get back and play you're gonna, are you going to edition. watch watch this you're gonna you know are you going to resurrect monza ked well monza ked never died i know that but will you yeah. resurrect the character or will i you would absolutely fresh? play the same yeah you're well oh you know Maybe I mean he wasn't an over he he was he was a, a a still a younger Jedi when I left him who had um who had some difficult run-ins in some taverns so I think I would yeah I think I would I still um, remember I remember your character's name I don't know why but for some reason I did and I think there was a because of I could uh, now now I know as I just immediately think of it like you said. The game was role playing for you. Yep. And he was your character. So when we talked about role playing, that it was, was inevitably always, it was yeah. always that character. So and yep. then the humorous right. stories that come from how just brilliantly Scott GMs. Yeah. And and all based on the wonder that is West End Games second edition of Star Wars, the role playing game, thanks to Bill yeah. and and the others. All right, everybody. Uh, buckle up because we are bringing you a brush with history, um, history that lives still today. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody, Jason here. Just real quickly, wanted to let you all know that we apologize in advance for some audio issues Brad and I encountered while chatting with Bill. Uh, there was an issue with uh, with connectivity on his end. So it comes and goes. We apologize for the clipping that will occur for a bit, several minutes, at least midway through the interview. Rest assured, though, it's clean at the beginning, it's clean at the end. And even with that uh, that little audio discrepancy, you're going to want to hear this. Thanks. Here we go. Bill Smith is a writer and game designer. 
His books have sold nearly half a million copies. He has written for leading publishers such as Delray Books, Little Brown, Lucasfilm, Topps, West End Games, TSR Incorporated, and Wizard Press. From 1991 to 1997, he served as the Star Wars role-playing game line editor for West End Games. In 1995, he was voted favorite designer by the RPGA, the world's largest organization for role-playing game enthusiasts. He has also written for Hershey Foods, the WIT agency, and has been involved in motorsports promotion, marketing, and journalism for nearly three decades. Bill works a day job to support his writing habit and continues to publish Outlaw Galaxy stories. He hopes you enjoy them. This meeting is being recorded. Okay, got it. All right, well, now that we've been notified by Zoom that uh, this is being recorded. We are totally leaving that in. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be on your permanent record. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is awesome. Not the first well, thing, we, not the last. Why don't we dive right in? So we've got Bill Smith with us. And as we talked about before the interview, um, I'll quote Jason and Bill probably a little be embarrassed. We've got RPG royalty here. That's um, true from our perspective yeah um because for both of us i had just a little bit of an earlier start very briefly when i was younger with yeah um D, &D but the first time i played with a group was and it wasn't a long session but was with jason and our friend scott playing right um west end games uh star wars role-playing game and mm -hmm. so we'll obviously talk about that, but I don't want to limit to that just because, no. Bill, I think you're a little more multifaceted than just a single role-playing game. But thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Thank, thanks for inviting me. Oh, God, thank you. Yeah, we were... Um... There, There's so much we'd like to talk to you about. And like Brad said, we don't want to limit it uh, unfairly just to those early Star Wars years. Uh, you know, what our listeners don't know is, so when we were emailing back and forth and setting this up, um, you then on email sent us this tome of information. And I'm like, what an incredible guy. And so, I mean, I've got, you can't say I've got notes here. It's like you shared all of this history and, and you know, we really appreciate that because it's as, as guys who love RPGs and love Star Wars, and mm -hmm. and like love the quote unquote original right Star Wars RPG love this the, the West End games Star Wars specifically the second edition right which was as I said before we recorded my truly my entree into RPGs and I you know it, well so let me just use that actually uh, to form a question for you to get this out of the way so when our friend Scott introduced me this was back in my hometown back in Wisconsin. Uh, I'd never, I'd never played a role-playing game before. I, I mean, I knew about Dungeons Dragons. Everyone had heard of it. I think I might have played it once in in junior high or sixth grade uh, on a sleepover, and we all want to go to the bar, but our GM wanted us to go on the adventure, and it was like, that's it, I'm done. And so that's as far as it got. And then my friend Scott, or our friend Scott, introduced me, and it was basically he'd already had a group he'd been playing with. Um, it must be since this came out. So they must have been doing this for a, a, a year or two, right? Okay. Um, or, or, sorry, they were probably going longer because I think they started with the first edition. They probably started with first. Yeah. I, and yeah. first and second were pretty yeah. compatible. So Okay. So, and I never knew anything about the first other than I'd seen it on his shelf. But I bring this up because I remember those first few experiences. These guys... Um, had been playing for, like I said, must have been at least a couple of years. And they knew the rules inside and out. They welcomed me, but they never told me how anything worked. They literally just threw me into a game with a new character. And I just asked lots of stupid questions. And I bring this up because like Brad and I on this podcast over the past year plus, year and a half already, Brad, have talked about how much we love the D20 system in general, and how much we love the narrative dice system out of Fantasy Flight Games and now Edge okay. for, for, for yeah. different reasons. Yeah, yeah. That said, as a teen, I was able to be thrown into, I mean, your game. I was being, I was able to be thrown yeah. into the second edition D6 system and over the course of just a few sessions, essentially learn the mechanic 
well enough to function. That to me is without ever having read anything. I purchased the books later. That right. says something to me about the the design, the mechanics. I wonder if you'd just take a little bit and and talk about your process, your intellectually creative process in what you did to that mechanic and why you did those things. Sure, sure. Well, the the biggest thing, um, you know, of course, second edition was built on the shoulders of Greg Kustikian's design for first edition, right. the rules companion that was written by Greg Gordon. Um, and, and even though the owner of West End Games was loath to admit it, which the Star Wars RPG is the Ghostbusters system that was designed by Chaosium for West End. Um, they The basic dice mechanic rule. You, here's your attribute, you have skills, roll X number of dice, add them up, aim for a difficulty number. That was the Ghostbusters system. And then Greg Kostikian adapted and modified that system very extensively to suit the Star Wars universe, you know, much more technically oriented kind of universe. And their goal was to write a game that could be very easily played and run for people who had never played a game before. Their thinking was, yes, we're going to get tons of people who've played Dungeons and Dragons because that is the entry point for almost everybody in the industry at that time. But at the same time, um, West End Games had distribution through one of the few companies that had solid distribution through um, B. Dalton and Walden Books. So we had access to not just the game stores, but the mainstream bookstores. So they were shooting for a game that somebody could pick up because Star Wars uh let's see the game came out in 87 so it was four years after return of the jedi Mm -hmm. and at that time a lot of the conventional wisdom that yeah star wars it was kind of cool but there was had really been nothing new for a few years Mm -hmm. and without the internet to prove how large the fandom is it was very easy for a lot of people in mainstream publishing to dismiss the idea but they knew that this is the biggest movie series in history. So Greg and the West End team, which included, you know, Bill Slavisek and Curtis Smith, who co-wrote the Star Wars source book and tons of other very talented designers and play testers. They designed a game that would be accessible to people who are new to role-playing games. And when I went and did the second edition, my, um, My primary thing was what happened is the original press run of uh, first edition had gone out of print. They had released the rules companion about a year and a half, two years um, after uh, the original game came out. Uh, I remember picking it up in the fall of, I can't remember if it was 88 or 89. Uh, So it was one or two years after the original star Wars RPG came out. Um, And uh, management said, you know, we can just reprint the book. But then we tell people, but you have to go out and buy this rules companion anyway. Can we do one game book? And it was like, sure. And he's like, you know, what? And, and Rich Horan, who was the, um, uh, he was the uh, president of West, or he was the vice president of West End Games. He was, he was basically the, the, the great guy. I love Rich. Awesome guy. Fun storyteller. Loves, wasn't much of a gamer but loved Star Wars, particularly loved Star Wars. Um, And and the owner of the company, Scott Palter, he was not as directly involved because he was busy running the other family business as well. So so Rich was really the day-to-day operations guy. Mm -hmm. And Rich said, are there there any other things that you want to adjust in the game system or change or, you know, since, you know, and I viewed my job as to kind of put everything together in a consistent way and try to address some of the play balance issues that other designers had mentioned to me that um, gamers had mentioned to me through letters or meeting people at Gen Con and things like that. Um, and so it was one of those things where, you know, when you're young and, and, and you don't know what you can't do for better or worse. And I, I kind of <laughs> dove in and um, I, I, had a good handle on what some of the issues were Mm -hmm. the solutions i came up with them i will readily admit probably weren't the most elegant i think revised and expanded which we did about four or five years later in 19 i think it was 95 or 96 was where i really got to to go back and and like you know it was the director's cut (laughs) of the game (laughs) and and go back and really smooth things out um you know there were 
a couple of core mechanical things. Like one of the big problems with the basic game system, if you had, say, five dice in a skill and you were in in a conflict with somebody who had six dice in a skill, 75% of the time they were yeah. going to beat you. Yep. There's just you'd have to spend a force point. Um, so I, 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 I copied the ghost die mechanic from Ghostbusters because it was there and it worked and introduced the wild die. Um, and I also gave players the option of they got experience points after every adventure that was always there in the game all along. And, and I said, well, you just now you have the option of when it, when you really need to, you can spend an, an experience point, which we renamed character points to roll an extra die. So between the the wild die, the, the variabilities of the wild die, because they went both ways for NPCs and PCs, and giving the players that option, that smoothed out a lot of the a lot of the hey, we just can't do this scenarios that you'd run into as a yeah. player. And we we introduced the the command skill uh, there was a there was a rule in first edition about players working together, and we basically revised the command skill to that. Okay, this is how you guys work together, mm-hmm. because the rules companion had a capital ship combat system, which people desperately wanted. They wanted yeah, to do yeah. star destroyers against rebel against the rebel fleet, and the mechanics were really complicated. It was in the rules companion. Mm-hmm. It was just challenging. It was really I. I I never was able to successfully wrap my mind around it. Um, And so I tried to slim it down so that you could use the command skill for everything of, we've got three people trying to fix the hyperdrive all at once to, Hey, let's, you know, have the star destroyer turn that bank of turbo lasers against that ship on the rebel fleet. So you'd roll your command skill. And if you rolled well enough, you could coordinate this many number of people and get a bonus to that role, to that role which you add to the highest skilled person role. So, you know, there, there were a couple of, you know, so really second edition was more or less putting together what was already there. I did a couple of those rules things. I did add a ton of skills. So the original star Wars game system had, I think 16 or 17 skills between the six attributes. Uh, it was probably more than that, actually. It's probably about 25 skills now that I now that I'm visualizing the character sheet and realizing, oh, no, it's more than that. So probably about 25 skills. But the thing I got hung up on, and this was a me thing. This was something that I heard from some players and other people didn't care, was flying the Millennium Falcon is completely different than flying an X-Wing or flying a Star Destroyer. So... I split things up into their space transports for flying freighters, their starfighter piloting, there's capital ship piloting. Um, yeah. In retrospect, I really wish I'd never done that. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, because, um, well, it made it where a character had players felt like they had to invest their characters in a ton of different skills yeah, and it okay. gobbled up experience points. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it seemed like, you know, there, there were some people who loved that split. There were a lot of people who just wish we'd stayed simpler and more cinematic and more streamlined. Yeah. That makes so sense. it's, you know, it's, it's weird because when star Wars came out, it was considered such a lightweight game system that, a lot of designers, a lot of other companies, from from what I from what I gathered, yeah. considered it almost not a game because it was so lightweight. Of course, these days, lightweight is the way. They're really yeah. crunchy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. back then, I mean, our you know the the other games out there were D and D, Shadowrun. You know, those were the right. big a battle pack. Right. Uh, oh God, um, uh, ICE system. Uh, the Lord of the Rings game and Rollmaster, um, you know, uh, Chaosium stuff, Pendragon and uh, Call, of, Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest, GURPS, oh, yeah. um, you know, GURPS. so, so mm-hmm. uh, champions, let's not forget champions. So by by comparison to most of the other industry, D6 was one of the most lightweight games out there, with the exception of Toon. <laughs> and uh, um and so it was considered really now these days d6 is considered really kind of crunchy yeah. and um but but back then um and, and so i was trying to do some things that would appeal to 
more of the traditional gaming audience, you know, and give them mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. bit more detail to chew mm -hmm. on, you know, skills split up. Um, but ultimately, as I always explain to people is like, there are a lot of things here you can use, but ultimately the game, the core game system is very simple. Mm -hmm. You have attributes and skills that tells you how many dice to roll, mm -hmm. roll your dice, you pick a difficulty number and there are these guidelines very yep. easy is, you know, zero to zero to five, mm -hmm. easy is six to 10, that sort of thing. Heroic is 31 plus, you know, you've got those guided ranges, but the bottom line is roll your dice. High is good. Low is bad. Go, <laughs> you know, yeah. have yeah. fun with it. Make something that's fun and cinematic. I, I was just checking the Reddit D6 board and they were talking about, <laughs> well, you know, the space transports repair rules say that it takes 15 minutes to repair uh, my hyperdrive. Well, what if the guys are in a battle? It's going to take 180 turds. And I was glad to see a bunch of people like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, go right. on, give them, give them a couple of skill tasks that they can roll against to temporarily repair the ship and let them do that so they can escape, nice. you know, so that they can escape and give them something exciting and dramatic they can do. And naturally, because they've only repaired it in the most temporary haphazard jury rig kind of way, they have very little control over where they're jumping. And naturally they're going to jump to the worst possible place and have to figure out now what do we do? And mm -hmm. that's the essence to me. That was the essence of the star Wars game is let's yeah. make something dramatic and exciting and fun. And, you know, high is good. Low is bad. Judge accordingly. Have fun. You know, make it cinematic. Make Which it essential or how does it, I mean, so you, like you said, you were just out on D6 Reddit boards. So, yeah. you know, obviously West End, you worked with them until 97, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I left in 97. So years later, just a couple, because we're all relatively mm -hmm. the same age. And yesterday was just yesterday. But um, <laughs> there. Yeah, I graduated you're, you're, from high school in 86. It was two weeks ago. Okay, yeah. <laughs> for, for us, then it means it was a week ago. Because um, yeah. we were right behind uh, you. Yeah, um, maybe more like a few days, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you know, you're still seeing people play this, and you're still yeah. seeing like oh. this this really cool community debate this stuff. A few years, obviously, after um, you worked on this, you know, right. got to be cool to see. Yeah, you know, it's very grand. I'll tell you what, my heart really does swell every time. You know, it just makes me feel good. Yeah. Every time I see somebody say, you know, whenever they say nice things about the West End system and, and you see those threats come up a lot uh, on, on the various RPG subreddit. I, Reddit's like my social. I, I don't do Facebook. I'm a Reddit guy. Um, and um, uh, and, you know, you see a lot on the RPG boards, um, sometimes Star Wars EU, sometimes uh, the D6 system, the D6 Star Wars subreddit isn't super uh, isn't super busy, but RPG Star Wars T6 does get mentioned when people talk about the various options for the Star Wars role-playing game. And it, it, it really, I'm glad people enjoy it because I loved working on it. You know, I was a fan first and a designer right. second. Right. And I, you know, every project that, whether or not I, I succeeded at what I set out to do, as they, whenever I worked on a, on a game product for West End, I wanted that product to be the kind of thing where, where I, as a Star Wars fan, would be like, this is so cool. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I tried to bring uh, that energy and enthusiasm. Like, like if you ever read any of my fiction I, uh, that I write, I don't think I'm necessarily the best technical fiction writer, but... I think I'd bring a lot of genuine enthusiasm to my work and I hope that readers will forgive, <laughs> will <laughs> forgive my weaknesses because they can tell that the person that's telling the story is 100 and you know, 125% into it or a thousand percent into it. And, you know, let's have fun with this. Um, and, and I tried to bring that to the game products because I was, I was a huge star Wars fan and and uh, and you know I had all the Marvel not all the Marvel comics I had all the com Marvel comics I could get my hands on yeah. I had the daily novels the Splinter of the Mind's Eye the uh, Lando Calrissian novels which was really all there was until yeah, yeah. West End came out you know 
And, and then, of course, in 91, when I started, then Phantom started pre, uh, releasing the novels slowly at first. But then as they realized, hey, there's a real audience for this, they ramped up. Dark Horse got the comics going. Um, you had the X-Wing and TIE Fighter computer games. And, you know, <laughs> so many, I met so many, so many of the people that I worked with um, that I met through these various projects they were just as big a fan as I was. There were, yeah. you know, they, uh, you know, Tim's on and Mike Stackpole who are guys who I just, I, I love hanging out with them. I love talking to them. Awesome guys. And they made it clear that they loved star Wars as much as all of us did. And, you know, and I, and I think they brought that I'm a fan first and I'm going to yeah. try and do the kinds of things that I want to see. And, mm -hmm. and, and I tried to bring that sense of enthusiasm to my books, you know, uh, some were more successful than others, you know how that works out, but, but, but I really loved what I did. And, and I'm really glad that, that people still enjoy those products, you know, and, and, you know, all the different games, they all scratch different itches for people. And yeah. some people want to do the more contemporary thing or, I haven't played the uh, FFG game, but I've heard great. My brother yeah, runs, has run group mm -hmm. with it. He loves it. Just absolutely loves it. And, you know, of course, it's the contemporary game. And, and you know, and, and I understand they're just hitting it out of the park with their products, which is awesome. You know. So but we, I promise we're going to go to your fiction because we really want to talk more about that. Well, but, sure. bef but before yeah, we do, a um, because of what of something you just said, so with the writing and being the fan first and clearly the enthusiasm coming through. Um, one of the, I think the single best GM guide ever written is the game master handbook for star oh, Wars cool. West end. I didn't even encounter it somehow until just literally a few years ago after Brad and I had been sporadically playing edge of the empire right from FFG. But right. uh, while I was GMing a little bit for that, I wanted some more guidance and I thought, okay, I remembered, I mean, again, I've got my copyright here. I remembered how wonderful. And like you said, truly cinematic second edition of, of the, the WG book, is was i mean it really saying and i thought okay i'm going to pick up this used copy because they're still floating around online of the game master right. and you were editor on that correct yes um that was actually the product was my idea and we recruited a bunch of freelancers uh to work on it and Jeez. i worked on some of it and mo a lot of them were staffers so we could all mm -hmm. work together pretty tightly but the as a as a gamer the most interesting part of any game to me is the game master guidance. Yeah. You know, how do you, for me, I played games because I really wasn't much of a gamer. I mm -hmm. was more of a, I want to experience cool worlds guy. Yep. And I was always gaming appealed to me because fiction can be so la, 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 la. And I'm like, well, let's get to the cool stuff. And um, so I loved the idea of exploring a world, creating an imaginary but internally consistent world that's an amazing place to adventure. And I wanted the Game Master Handbook to be that kind of thing of here is how, here are some of the tricks and tips we've done to try and make our Star Wars games cool. And great, you know, the West End staffers, we were, we were all, you know, you don't go work at a job like that just because it's a job, you yeah, know, yeah. you do yeah. it because it's a labor of love, because if you don't love it, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're just not going to make it, you're going to burn out. But if you love what you do, you know, you, and, you know, I was thinking about that, the second edition game, 30th anniversary will be next month of the, the of the release date wow. and that kind of that kind of hit me because <laughs> you know i remember how how much of a struggle it was and how overwhelmed by the deadlines and the pressure and and i felt terrible about what i was doing to the rest of the staff because it's like bill we need this book i'm like i'm working on it um and uh and at the same time um you know i wanted it to be the the best that it could be and and um you know, the, the, 
the third, you know, 30 years ago. And I was just this young kid, just like, I just want to do this cool thing. I hope I can make it cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's roll the dice and hope things come together. But yes. it was, I worked with such incredibly talented people. It was, it was an awesome experience. So, I mean, okay. So you joined West End in 91. So how old were you at the time? I, w- I, I joined in January 91 and I was uh, 21 years old. I had just graduated from high school in, or uh, from college in May of 1990. So, so how did you land? I mean, that's that's remarkable. How did you land there? I mean, how did that uh, work? So I got my degree in communications from a, a small school, College of St. Rose in Albany, New York, mm-hmm. a small college. Um, I was um, editor of the student newspaper there, um, which, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I almost went to SI Newhouse in Syracuse because they've got an incredible journalism program. Yep. But... I felt more comfortable going to a smaller, more personal school. And the fact of the matter is, I never would have gotten a shot to be editor uh, at a much larger school. You know, it was kind of like you're, you know, you're you're interested, and there's not a huge pool of people to choose from. Uh, so, uh, so I was editor of a student newspaper, and then that got me a job as an assistant editor for a uh, trade magazine uh, that was based in the Capital District right outside of Albany. Uh, It was uh, for cleaning and uh, industrial supplies. There was a trade magazine publisher there. And I was excited to be working in print. Um, I had been um, announcing stock car races and doing public relations, (laughs) writing press releases, uh, news reports, and and promotional pieces for racetracks since I was in high school because I love the sport. You know, know, I've always said, you know, as a kid, my my life was about Star Wars and stock cars, and and you know they they were the things that I loved passionately. Yeah. So I had those kind of credentials. And the funny thing is, so Weston had this thing, and it's standard, where if you want to submit anything, you have to get a release, you have to sign a release, because, and most publishers they don't want to be at risk of getting sued. You stole yeah. my idea, yeah. So you have to sign a release. So I, uh, in the summer, uh, in the fall of 1990 Torg, which was West End's big game, their new mm-hmm. game system, mm-hmm. which I loved. I was a huge Torg fan. Uh, so I didn't, didn't bother with writing for the author's guidelines. I just wrote up a proposal for a book. <laughs> oh <my laughs> hey, I'd like to do this game master guide for Torg and I mailed it into West End games. And I got a call from from Rich Rand, who was the vice president of West End. About two weeks later, uh, this was right or, right just before Christmas, and he's like, um, "This proposal you sit in," and, and I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, um, "Okay, you're never supposed to send in anything without a release. We technically can't look at it." That said, do you want to come down for a job interview? Because I, of wow. course, in the proposal, I said, "You oh know, hey, I would love to." come work at Weston yeah. and it was only about three hours away from me. It was really the only game company on the East coast. So it was only about three hours mm-hmm. from where I was in Albany. And I'm like, do you need me there today? You know, I can, I can, <laughs> go, I can leave today. Um, and, uh, and so they interviewed me and, and, and I didn't realize they wanted me to do the star Wars stuff, but they yeah. came down and, and, and the nice thing is Honesdale, very small town in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, very remin. I grew up in a very, very small town in, in the northern Adirondacks. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we're not in Canada, but we can see it from here. I'm in right. Montreal. Um, and so one of the big issues that they had with recruiting talent is because West End used to be located in New York City. Is oh. are, are you willing to move to Honesdale, Pennsylvania? Because it's this really small town where if you don't like to go hunting and fishing there's not a lot of things right. to do here. right and i'm like i grew up in a town just like this i get it and you know and and so they they gave me a shot uh they Incredible. said you know they hired me as an editor and and i was like you know this is my dream job and and it was you know and i just you know um i didn't have much of a work work-life balance at the time i you know i i spent sure. uh, a ton of time uh, just working, 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 
wouldn't change a thing. I loved what I did. Still love what I did. I, I miss it every day. Even though the, you know, deadline pressures and things like, you know, freelancers flaking out. Yeah. So we have to write yeah. a book in two weeks, you know, that could, oh you my know, God. drove me nuts. But yeah. man, I miss that place. I, I miss the job. I loved what I did. But it's not like you've been dormant since then. You've written quite a bit. I've well, I uh, I've written a few uh, after I left West End um, uh, in '96. I've written a few novels. Um, I've gotten uh, well. I've got I've released two novels and two short story collections, and done this scattered freelance thing. Um, I've got a ton of short stories and like five or six novels that are in. They're like in first and a half draft at mm -hmm. stage. And I'm one wow. of those people that that I I tend to do a good three or four drafts. And my schedule is so busy that when I get time, I want to do something fresh, you know? So, but I, I do have a ton of stuff that when I get a little bit more time, I, I, I want to finish it. And, you know, my goal is to, uh, of course, with indie publishing these days, you know, the, 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 when I started at West End, the only option was traditional publishing. And for the most part, you could only sell one or two books a year unless you used a ton of pen names because they would only publish one or two books a year. Well, you know, these days with indie publishing, there are a lot of authors who, who write a book every month or two and they make a, you know, some of them make a great living uh, doing it. The ones who, you know, are prolific and consistent who learn the marketing and advertising elements. There's a lot to it, but like, I want to be that guy, you know, but right, you know, right now I work, you know, I, I joke, I work a day job to support my writing habit um, and, and to, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, to make, make sure that we keep a roof over the head and my, uh, to, to quote Mal from Firefly, my son has a powerful need to eat. So, nice. you know, nice. yes. yes. So I, you know, so I, 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 I do, but you know, it's, it's funny. I don't get to do as much creative stuff as I want to, but, I have to admit, I'm in a really good place with my life. So, you know, but I still love writing. I don't get to write as much as I want to, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty satisfied with a lot of things. I like what I do. I like the people I work with. I, I drive school bus. I love the kids. Um, you know, my son's a great little guy. My wife's awesome. We, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And, and you know, it's funny. Awesome. Like I said, if somebody had told me when I was in high school, yeah, you'll, you'll be back in your hometown like uh and you'll be happy but i would be like no, no. way <laughs> i i come from a hometown not totally unlike yours i hear you <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. you know it's uh it's it's worked out well you know it's i i, I joke with my wife i because you know my dream was to work at west end and go work at lucasfilm and which i think you know i wanted to take the path that pablo hidalgo yeah has taken you know yeah. and went to work and and i really wanted to do that um, you know, in retrospect, I probably wouldn't have been the best fit at Lucasfilm because mm -hmm. I was more interested in creating cool stuff. And when you're at Lucasfilm, um, yeah. a lot of it's more administrative um, because okay. you're you're managing the projects yeah, yeah. and 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 I don't um, and I think I I kind of you know it's I used to joke at West End it's like I it's like okay give me a deadline. Now go away, <laughs> and in a month, that manuscript will be done. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the, the the things that was one of the hardest things for me at West End is I had to leave at five o'clock. They locked up the building, go home, and I'm like, you know, it's half hour drive. By the time I get home and eat dinner and da -da -da, I, I'm out of writer mode. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and and well, you can come in early. I'm like. Dude, I'm 21 years old. I'm not. I'm not coming into work at six in the morning. You know. Now, now I have to wake up at four in the morning to go drive school bus. But then that was a non-starter. But there, I remember this. Um, it's coming up. My wife and I were just getting married. I had a project that was on that needed to be done before we left. And I was like, Rich, can I just stay like three or four hours? I just want to finish this before I go. Yeah. And I. I edited that whole book oh in four hours. I, I finished that book in four hours oh my because God. nobody was in my office. Yeah. You know, because we didn't have offices with doors. We had cubes. Yeah, well not cubes, oh. but they were they were it was like an open but, air design. Yeah. So it was 
you could only manage your time as well as your coworkers. Let you. Um, and that was that was that was a challenging thing because most of the guys I worked with were awesome, but a few of them like to come in and chat. And I'm like, you can talk at me, but I'm still typing. You know, but <laughs> it's. It, you know, and, and, and that was one of those things. If they had let me, you know, work till eleven o'clock at night, I probably would have done that a lot. You know, yeah, just because I loved what I, I loved what I was doing. See, that you know? is cool. Yeah, you don't, that's that's hard to find, and to be able to find that at twenty-one. Oh my god! But, but it was, but it wasn't a job. It was right. a passion for me. Right. You know, um, I got and, and oh, go ahead. No, no, I was go go ahead because I was going to ask about something else, but I don't want to do that quite yet. But, we... but, but no, I mean that's you know that's what I did for fun. You know, it's like and and to this day, you know, what do I do for fun? I pull out a pen and a notebook and I start writing some, you know, writing some dialogue or writing writing a scene in a story, and wow. that's what that because it's you know it, it's funny because they they talk about athletes getting into the zone and writing for me is I go into that altered state of almost hypnosis, you know, yeah. that altered state of consciousness where I get so very deeply immersed and it is deeply, deeply relaxing for me. So it's very wow. therapeutic what I get to write. And and I, I just love it. And, you know, it's funny because invariably when I write something, I'll read the finished product and it's like, you know, that's not exactly what I set out to do. But sometimes, but sometimes it, I'm like, I still really like this, <laughs> you know, and because it is an it's it's an exploratory phenomenon. I, I'm an outliner, but I still have in my mind the feeling I'm going for. And a lot of times the feeling is not exact. I told the story that I outlined on paper, but the feeling isn't exactly the same. But sometimes even though it's not the same as what I was shooting for. I was like, I think the story still works, you know, and and that's always fun. So it is, it is something that for me, it's it's as as much as an exploration as it is creating something. Even even though I'm a pretty rigid outliner, yeah. When you also had mentioned too, because I want to talk about like Outlaw Galaxy Mm because I know you have Mm -hmm. that, but but before you do that, you had also mentioned that you did you had worked in radio too. Yes. Yeah. What did you do? So I was in I was in high school, um, and my my speech and debate. So I did speech and debate in high school, and my speech and debate teacher got me doing a job DJing on Saturday nights, and so I, I DJ you know spun records, took requests, you know the, the standard radio stuff, um, and after about three weeks, I got the offer to announce stock car races at the local track over in Plattsburgh, New York, and I'm like, you know, and I had to go talk to my teachers like. I know you went and got me this job, but I really want to announce stock car racing because that's fun. <laughs> and, and so I left DJing right after that, but um, I did my internship in college at the local public radio station uh, in Albany. I uh, worked for a great news director, Don Decker. He was a legend in Capital District Radio. And uh, over the years, I've done a ton of um, radio hosting, sh- like most local race racetracks have a weekly radio show of some sort where they you know do recaps and driver interviews and you know the sunday 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 promo stuff and so i do a lot of that kind of thing where i do drivers driver interviews take fan call phone calls and and do a combination of pre-recorded and live stuff and and ton of fun you know i I enjoyed doing it uh i got out of it just because um just too much time you know especially especially with my little guy it's just like you know, he's only going to be a little guy once. So, you know, I still yeah. love the sport, but he's only going to be a little guy once. So that's right. Really and you'll cool. have, you have time as, as he grows to maybe to get back into some of that. Team. Yeah. But like you said, like you if said, he's, they're only young once, right? Yeah. If he's a fan, I'm sure I'll get back into it. But right now, hmm. everything in my life, everything in my wife's and I uh, lives are, are is like, what would Billy enjoy doing? You know, and, and really you know, that's, that's where we are. Wow. So tell us about Outlaw Galaxy. Oh, okay. So um, when I was just after I'd left West End, I was working on the Essential Guide to Weapons and Technology. Uh, and uh, for the original one, that was the black cover version that came out 25 years ago. Uh, and, um, you know, I left West End. Um, and it was one of those, like, I've got to finish this book. And there was no way I could juggle a day job 
in getting that but as it was it was really over deadline i was like i've got to do this book no matter what and then i'll figure out what i'm doing you know yep uh so uh as i was wrapping up that book i kind of started noodling around that you know i i i wanted to experiment with fiction uh and so i just started i i knew what kind of I definitely took creating the Outlaw Galaxy series uh, in the same way that a, a game designer would, as opposed to a traditional fiction writer. I built the world first, wanted to build a universe that was internally consistent, right. and then started, hey, what kind of stories did I want to, do I want to tell? And, and the first story, uh, first Outlaw Galaxy book, Trip in the Space Pirates, is thematically and emotionally essentially treasure island in space kind of feel okay. it's you know a young man gets captured by space pirates so i part of it is i wanted to do young adult fiction i wanted i i had read a couple i had only read the highland juvies i had only started reading them in the mid 90s after i was at west end because it never occurred to me to write for them i didn't particularly look for them nobody ever recommended them to me but, you know, I, I started reading the Heinlein Juvies um, about 94, 95. And it was like, these are awesome. How come nobody's writing more books like this? So I wanted to do a young adult uh, series. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted the way I described it is, you know, my fiction has, is always going to be suitable for readers of all ages, uh, mm -hmm. family friendly. So I'm not afraid of tackling something that's controversial. Yeah. But you can still handle something that's controversial in a delicate manner, uh, in a in a in a very in a polite way. Um, so you know, my my con the content in my books is very light PG, it's action, it's very similar to the original Star Wars movie. Yeah, I right. mean that was my first love, and I kind of copied that tonal guideline in the sense of it's you know, no swearing, no adult content, no graphic violence. Um and so that I could, I could with full, with uh, full faith, yeah. hand this to somebody and yeah. say, you can give this to your kid. Sci-fi as it should you might be. Want to pick it up. You might enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Cause I, I, I try to write it so that it's fun for an older, you know, for, for an adult to read, but that a kid with, with a decent vocabulary is, you know, that, that no parent is going to find something where they're like, oh, I can't believe they put that in there. Mm -hmm. And that, that's actually kind of a big issue in, in even young adult publishing. It is. Uh, you know, what, what editors will put, allow into those books is very different now than it was a few years ago. And mm -hmm. they've really pushed the boundaries a lot. And, and I am, um, I'm, I'm, I, my choice is that I'm not going to go in that sort of direction with my books. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I am, I'm not passing judgment on having more adult content in young adult books. Yeah. We live in a different world than when I, you know, first started writing my books, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my own guidelines that I follow. Um, and, um, you know, the, the basic setting is I, it's, it's similar to traditional space opera. It follows in the tradition of Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, mm -hmm. Babylon Five, original Star Trek, Star Wars. Uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a you know universe with you know, hyperspace drives, although not super fast. Like yeah. uh, rule of thumb is you you might only go you might only be able to reach a few a handful of different systems in a day's travel. Right. Um, right. The um, I I stole something from Traveler. There's no faster than light communication. And the reason oh, why, yes. so you have to, oh, and the reason why yeah. I did that is so then you have to go there yep. as yep. opposed to just pick up the, the space telephone and call. So that, that, and it, which is something that was largely in the original Star Wars role playing game with the exception of the Holonet, which the Empire controlled, there wasn't really a lot of faster than light communication. Nope. And we we leaned into that at West End, that concept at West End, because you have to go there then. You have to yep. go find these things out. A lot of times you're jumping in, you have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a great adventure hook. And that's, so I kind of copied that idea. My universe is very balkanized um, in that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of different governments. You know, if, if, if yeah. there is a government that controls... 10, 15, 20 systems, 
that's a big deal. You know, most systems okay. are so the and and because my hyperdrives are relatively slow. And I use the term hyperdrive because, you know, I can do the yeah. hand wavy easily enough. Um, <laughs> and, um, and because there's no faster than light communication, hey, what's on the other side of the galaxy? Yeah, we don't know. Don't it's going to take us to get there, you know. And, you know, there's there's flows of energy and things like that. So, you know, you, you couldn't make a continuous jump. You, you need to have the charts to get through the hyperspace currents safely and yeah. and those are all those are all elements of classic space opera right you know, it's 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 not yeah. a, i readily admit it's not original i'm i'm drawing on stuff that's been around for nearly 100 years at this point yeah but it's a great recipe for fun adventure and really you cool. know so so i wanted to design you know my the thinking in the back of my mind is if i'm going to start writing fiction I'm going to write fiction until I can't write anymore. So I want to create a setting where I will be happy playing in that setting for 50 years. Now, yeah. let, 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 let's just hypothetically say that there were a couple middle-aged guys who are fans mm -hmm. of your Star Wars RPG <laughs> work. Would would someone <laughs> like that specific but general demographic enjoy reading these books, even though they may might be targeted for YA? I, I I sure hope so. Um, I I try I I try to write my books so that no no they're they're not. One of the problems with a lot of YA authors is they talk down to their audience. Right. And the thing right. I loved about Heinlein's Heinlein's juvies is I picked them up as a guy in my twenties and it's like these are awesome. Nice. And, and I tried to maintain that kind of this is a fun, this is a fun adventure that yes it stars a young inexperienced protagonist but i wanted to it, the first couple of novels do my short stories cover a lot more different territories so even though the first couple of books start off as ya the more i've written the more it's become this is a setting kind of like dungeons and dragons and forgotten realms mm -hmm. that you know it's a the forgotten realms books or the dragonlands books are a setting and there are a million and one different kinds of stories and different groups of characters whose adventures we're going to follow but they all exist in a in a consistent universe and that's that's the kind of feel i'm going for and yeah definitely writing right i'm trying to write my stories so that people of all ages will enjoy them um you know i'm trying to write things that i'm not going to get bored with um you know, how successful i am the readers are going to have to judge that but you know that's 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 what i'm shooting for yeah so I love the idea because, like you said early on, you built the world, you built the universe, yeah, love that. and then you started telling. It's like because Jason and I talk about world building in the context all of RPGs the all yeah. the time, mm -hmm. and I've been work. I'm not a writer, but I've been working on right. something for Jace, Jason, and I to game in, and I built that that environment. Like you said, I was I was, you know, Dragonlance was one example of it. Mm -hmm. So hearing you talk about that, that's just I. You know, a very kindred idea, although much I'm much more amateur than you are at doing this. So nothing of mine is publishable, but just that idea. The world um, building gets us going every time. Yeah, I, well, I'm I, sorry. I, I, could, I could go off on yeah. a tangent on it. As, uh -huh. as gamers, I think it's in our DNA because yeah. we want to, yeah. how does this world work? You know, in the, the gimme, the buy-in is the implicit, uh, the implicit belief that this is a realistic, consistent world that we are adventuring in mm -hmm. and that you know we're here to see all see and do all the cool things and meet all the cool people and and find these and and you know blame tolkien um but but there are you know that's i think as gamers we you know we want a story that stands up more than this was just a good idea at the time you know and and that was one of the things that you know, poor, poor George Lucas, we hung in his every word yeah. when we were elaborating on things at the with the West End stuff, yeah. because, you know, if, if there was a line in that movie, we had to assume, OK, this is the reality of that universe. Yeah. What are the implications of that? And and that was one of the things where um, I'm I, I always was kind of an EU guy. And so I kind of. I have to say that the new Star Wars movies I, are are not from are not necessarily yeah. written with me in mind, mm -hmm. because I'm like well, you can't fly a spaceship into an atmosphere, 
You can't jump from a standing start. You can't hyperspace skip because look at all the trouble Hans Solo had getting out of Tatooine. You've create you've created a universe where you don't need starships anymore because you right. can just jump from inside an atmosphere to the next planet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard, hard. No, don't don't try. Well, we can only do it this once. It's like, you know, I yeah. I'm a race car fan. And no matter how good a mechanic is, you can't build an indie car that goes 500 miles an hour. Right. It just doesn't, the universe doesn't work that way. The technology isn't there the way it's been explained to us. So now you're, it, and, and the, there wasn't even that pretense of, oh, everything's different now. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. and, and, and part of it is for me, I don't necessarily want the universe to change. I fell in love yeah, yeah. with that universe. And I understand there's evolution to things, but so, so part of it is me being old and stodgy and set my ways, you know? Um, I'm, I'm curious though, if I may, um, I, I think we both hear you. I mean, we enjoy it, but I think we both hear you loud and clear regarding the, the sequels. I'm curious though, as a writer, as a, as a storyteller, what do you think about some of the, I mean, I'm just, again, we're of an age. All these miniseries, right? I'm curious right. what you think about the well, Mandalorian's not because that's ongoing. But what do you right. think about the storytelling in the world with you know, like Mandalorian, Obi Wan, etc. Like Andor's about to drop, right? What, right, right. What, what uh, do you think of those? I think it's awesome. Um, I think you know the the thing is, I, I as a concept, yeah, you can tell a you know Star Wars to me is just as just like a novel. I think having a miniseries is where you, whether you deal with established characters or new characters, but you can tell a great story. And one of the things that I've always felt were Star Wars, where where, when I worked on the role-playing stuff, my job was not to try and outdo the movies. You know, I... Because the reason why those movies are the movies is because they are the biggest, most important stories in that universe. My job is to tell a smaller scale story that can have great personal stakes for those characters, but we're not necessarily going to change the fate of the galaxy. Right. And the miniseries are, have this wonderful potential to tell these amazing stories within this universe without you don't have to be disruptive you can tell the small very personal tale very well in those um and and of course the execution of each it's going to depend on the creative team now as far as i'm concerned i think lucasfilm would be well advised to write dave filoni and john favreau a blank check and say go do whatever you want (laughs) you know because i think they they get they get it i think they get what makes the universe work um to a large i i i am I really, really trust them for the most part. And, and you know, I know like Book of Boba Fett got a lot of criticism for not being a complete tale. And you know, my favorite TV show of all time is Babylon 5. And if you're, if you've ever heard anything about Babylon 5, everybody's like, episode season one sucks. No, season one is prelude. Season one is we're going to put all the pieces on the table so that when we start knocking pieces off the table in season two, It'll mean something to you. And I'm hoping that Book of Boba Fett oh, is interesting. prelude to, oh, you know, ooh, so, so I don't look at it as a standalone. I look at it as chapter one, yeah. I hope. And I hope they do some really cool things with chapter two, chapter three, that sort of. I, I'm oh. hoping that's how it works out, um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're itching to to do some of those kinds of things and i mean let's face it boba fett was done wrong in return of the jedi and boba fett i was a boba Boba fett fanboy you know like boba fett was the guy i wanted to know more about yes and um so you know i'm 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 along for the ride crossing my fingers hoping for the best because i want boba fett to still be the meanest, scariest guy in the galaxy after Vader and the Emperor. You know, I mean, you know, and in in what I remember joking with Steve Sansweet at Lucasfilm, I was like, you know, I was not a big fan of the Ewoks. You know, just <laughs> just not. My you know, um, and and he's like, well, you know, I'm like, and, and and he was defending the Ewoks, like, well, wouldn't you know, what's wrong with having a 
a you know a thing in the galaxy where you know a race that's pure and honest is like and they eat stormtroopers you know <laughs> was my follow-up but but the one thing that was really missing in return of the jedi is you know han's leading the rebels and boba fett shows up and you know and they have you know granted it would have been bloated and it would have not contributed anything dramatically to the story but it would have been really cool and yeah. a good follow-up would have been Sean Connery showing up and shooting Boba Fett and saying, son, why do I always have to save you? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it would have been corny, but if you did it right, it really could have worked. You I know? mean, Star Wars, yeah, I mean, the original trilogy kind of mastered the corny, but it really works. Well, and, you know, I was thinking about this. The, the as a kid, what, what worked for me with Star Wars is that it was... Um, the movie took itself seriously. The universe yeah. took itself seriously. Yeah. And the humor came from the sarcasm of the characters, that kind right. of that kind of grim dark humor of we're gonna die. We should at least, you know. And I think one of the things that some creators have struggled with is and even George Lucas, when he was talking about um, when he was talking about Phantom Menace and it, when he was doing the special editions, he's like, well, yeah. it's a kid's movie. And it's like, no, it really, it, it, it needs to, to me, Star Wars can be some very sophisticated storytelling yeah. that yeah. can appeal to audiences of all ages. Yeah. And I, I, you know, there's a great quote from Kevin Smith, trust the audience. They'll come along, you know, they're in, and I'm paraphrasing it inaccurately. I know, yeah. but you know, you can, you can tell uh, a really interesting story. And, and if you've engaged the audience, they will come along with you. And, you know, the, the, you know, you don't need to do the slapstick. You don't need to do, you know, the goofy humor, you know, hot, the, the funny part of the original star Wars was Han Solo's wisecracking. And, yeah. and it was, he was, you know, uh, a sarcastic, you know, a sarcastic and kind of bitter yep. guy yep. Um, until he, you know, until they did the special edition where they, you know, softened things. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Han shot first guy without question. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Jabba would have, would have done something more than squeal when Han stepped on his tail kind of guy. I, you know, I thought those, yeah. Yeah. sometimes you, you don't need to go for the obvious laugh. You know, sometimes the humor can be a little bit more subtle and, yeah. and, you know, humor can lose all your dramatic tension if it's not executed properly. So, oh. you know, and that's, and, and, you know, and, and I'll admit when we did the West end stuff, some of our, some of our stuff was, was admittedly a little goofy just as with the comics and novels and, yeah. you know, but I, I, I tended to be on the more serious star yeah. Wars yeah. side. Uh, that's just my taste, you yeah. know? Bill, we, we could keep you forever. You've been so gracious with your time. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This evening. We've only oh, touched the surface, so we have to have you back. Yeah, we would love to have you back. Sure, sure. Anytime.